Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Um, here we are. There we go. All right. Wow. Settings are all set. Do you want a cold cup of water? It's not really cold. Or hot tea or something? I'm just regular water. Okay. Um, I want to say, Dila Notach, Baruch Hashem, a good yom to everybody. Today is Hey Teves, and we um, we want to celebrate everyone who did their daily reading. So, Kolakavod for everyone who did your daily reading. And you will receive this incredible book called Ravdov, from Ravdova Pritzen called Illuminated Sound, the Balshemtiv on Prayer. Um, the shipment did not arrive today. So as soon as it comes, I will give it to everybody. Um, it is, it is really, really powerful. I've actually been reading it for a while now, and it has made a very big impact in my davening. Um, so we decided to get it for everybody in honor of Hey Teves. And our everybody that earned the safer for doing their daily reading is um, Racha Zirkin, Ruta Cohen, Ariela Zuckerman, Ricky Winner, Devorah Lieberman, Rachel Schmerling, Esther Citrin, Yosef Wood Eisenberg, Sima Deshevsky, Nechamadina Herzl, um, Yehudis Hecht, Adina Lapine, Fagi Shue, Malka Stern. Uh, Debrushi Liberov, Callie Aronson, Shelby Aronson, Esther Malka Cohen, Doreen, Hani Albuquerque. So a huge mazel tov for everyone who did their daily reading and their journaling. Um, and I want to share that next week, Bezos Hashem, Wednesday night is our finale for Rangin. It also happens to be, not happens to be, it was planned. It also is my birthday. And being that Living Chassidus was a birthday hachlata that I took on nine years ago. So it is our nine year anniversary for Living Chassidus. So everyone's invited to the Living Chassidus Center to come and celebrate together. We're going to have a Ferengen and, and yeah, it's going to be great. Now, um, for many years, I've had a dream to bring an incredible speaker um, who is the director of Kahas. And I've tried in many, I, I love the Friedman family. So I've tried in many different ways and Baruch Hashem this year, it actually worked out. So we have the great schos of having Rabbi Yosef Friedman, who um, for everyone or anyone who's ever picked up any Kahas Sefer, if you look in there, there's always the name Rabbi Yosef Friedman and other names as well. But he is um, the director of Kahas, and we are so grateful for everything that he does. And thank you so much for speaking for us today. It's a great discussion. I'm going to put this there. Do you want me to switch it so you don't see yourself? Uh, so I don't see myself? Would you? Was that better? Probably not. <laughs> If you want, I can switch it. Switch it. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> 
Yeah. Okay. Very good. Is that good? I'm fine. So, where are we reaching to? Who's out there? So, we have. Where are they? So, we have the people are coming here, and we also have some people in. It's women in um, New Jersey, in uh, Muncie in Philadelphia. We have Baltimore. Um, we're all around. Okay. Close enough to send them their booklets and prizes. Yes. Right. Okay, it's not international, it's interstate. Yes. Okay, so good yamtiv. And it's uh, Hey Tavis, so it's a big yamtiv. Well, there's this uh, famous Jewish joke, right? How do you encapsulize uh, Jewish holidays or Jewish history? You say they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. So usually there's there's a villain, there's a bad guy, and try to do terrible things. And usually <clears throat> our lives were at stake. And uh, the miracle is that the Jewish people were saved and survived the uh, history. Um, what is Hey Tavis that it's such a yamtif? Um, how does that fit into the picture of the existential threat and uh, scary times? It's about a library. The library was going to be pilfered and was it about was it about uh, books? Was it about was it about uh, property rights? What what was the what was the story that gave us Hey Tavis? So, in order to understand Hey Tavis, it's a good time to talk about Yutes Kislev, because Yutes Kislev is known as the Chag Hachagim. The Rebbe is called Yutes Kislev the Festival of Festivals. And whenever a Rebbe would say Yomtev and not specify which Yomtev he was talking about, he meant Yutes Kislev. So Yutes Kislev is Chag HaChagin. You find that the Friedrich Rebbe's writing, you find that the Rebbe's writings. Um, how do we understand Yutes Kislev and how does that parallel with Hey Tavis, which gives us a better understanding of what, what we're celebrating? Now, interestingly, in Lukutu de Burim, which is the primary source for Hasidic, wow, this is slipping, for Hasidic wisdom or Hasidic, um, what we call Lachluchis. You know, there's the teachings of Hasidus, and then there's the Lachluchis, there's the, the, um, the glue that keeps the chassidus together, the davening and the learning and the menhage chassidus, there's a glue that keeps that flowing because otherwise it's, you have davening, you have learning, you have, uh, you have uh, things that you do as a chassid, but in order to keep all these in focus and keep them together and directed in the same direction, there's the lachluchis. There's the, uh, lachluchis means the moisture. 
that kind of gives it, gives it um, the sticking and staying power. So we'll go to the bottom is, is uh, are you familiar with Lukut to the bottom? Okay, we'll go to the bottom is, is from the Friedrich Rebbe. It's a collection of his talks. Like the Rebbe, we have Lukut to Sichas, there's Lukut to the bottom. And it's, it was selected um, as, they were pro, as they were printed. They came out in little Lukutim, small pamphlets. Later they were put together in four volumes and later into two books of four volumes. And it's the Friedrich Rebbe, mostly, at least a couple of volumes before he came to America. A lot of his writings are there. For instance, the famous uh, description of his arrest is, is printed in Lukut of the Budim. And you knew that when you were growing up as a, as a chassid, you need to read Lukut of the Budim. You need to get that flavor of what Lubavitch was about before the war, how it came to America, what it became after the war, uh, its history, its, um, its legacy of, of chassidim, of a lot of uh, older and early chassidim, and of course of the Rabbeim. And the Rebbe would uh, often ask uh, Abacher, uh, familiar with the Lukut of the Burim? And he was very, very happy when, when, when Bachrim were, were um, proficient in, in Lukut of the Burim. And it was like uh, something that you knew you, um, you should, uh, should be your, your reading, your required reading. So in the first volume of Lukut to the Burim, there is a is the talk for the Friedrich Rebbe, which is actually the second second section. Each 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 uh, liquid had several sikhs of the Friedrich Rebbe. So the first one I think is Sukkis or Shminyat Sarasachan Sukhasteira, and the next one is Yutas Kislev. And um, in that in that Yutas Kislev story, uh, in that in that talk, the Friedrich Rebbe talks about his uncle, his great great uncle, his name was Reb Nochem. Reb Nochem was Rebbe. And he describes how he would celebrate Yutas Kislev every single year. Uh, he describes the character of this Reb Nochem famous story that happened with, with the Alter Rebbe. But the point I want to bring out is that the Friedrich Rebbe says that every single year Reb Nochem would sit down and fabring Yutas Kislev, and he would tell the story of Yutas Kislev as if he was reading the Megillah, which means he started at a certain point in the, in the story, and and took it till the end, and he did the same thing every single year. He would start uh, um, how their arrest happened, what led up to it, and um, and repeat it uh, every single year. Um, so in Hey Tavis, I guess we should be doing the same thing. Um, also because it's it, it should be a tradition, a second because Hey Tavis is our. Yomtev, that's our Yutas Kislev plus. So I was asked to talk about Hey Tavis. So Hey Tavis, um, I was I had this chos. I was fortunate to be kind of in the inside when the story went down, and um, it was it was a tremendous um, tumultuous time for for the Rebbe and for the Rebbetzin. And subsequently, and as a result of that, for, for all of Chassidim. Um, it was 1985, Tavshim when, uh, let's, let's back up a little bit. It's all about the books and all about the Rebbe's library. And what is the Rebbe's library and where did it come from? Right adjacent to 770, the next building, 766. Eastern Parkway 
is the Rebbe's library. It is now known as the Agudas Chabad Library, um, basically as a result of the book trial, kind of the name changed, although uh, the facts were the same before and stayed the same after. But uh, the Friedrich Rebbe amassed this library while in Europe and managed to bring part of it with him to America and kept on growing it while he was here. And he grew the library based on what he inherited, starting from the Alter Rebbe. So the Alter Rebbe began that library, and it went from Rebbe to Rebbe to Rebbe to the Friedrich Rebbe, who expanded it greatly. So not only did he take books that were gifted to him or purchase books or purchase libraries, it also contained all the Ksavim, all the writings and all the manuscripts of every single Rebbe. So if you have a manuscript of the Alta Rebbe, it went from generation to generation. Where is it now? Whatever was saved is in the library right here in Eastern Berkeley. Now, some of it was confiscated by the Germans, some was confiscated by the Russians. There is a court case now in Washington, as you know, against the Russian government, who's holding a part of the Rebbe's library. Um, and actually Friday, hey Hanukkah, uh, just last week, we had a great uh, victory against the Russians again, uh, where the court um, rejected all their appeals and we're perhaps a step closer to getting the library back, hopefully. But this is the library that's, that's now part of negotiations between the two superpowers, between America and Russia. And um, what are they arguing about? They're arguing about the Ksavim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's and the books that belong to Chassidim. So the library was here in 770 in the basement, in the original 770 back in 1940 when the Friedrich Rebbe moved there. And it was there all the years and the library kept on growing. When the Rebbe became Rebbe, he also started to grow the library and kind of kept it as a separate library his his separate separate and it came a time in 1985 when it was noticed that the Friedrich library some of the shelves were missing books and um, it went on for a short while a couple of weeks and every day they saw that uh, something was going on so they installed surveillance there was no surveillance camera there and they found who it was that was coming into the library and taking out the books now these are very valuable books that on the international market uh, sell for over you know hundreds of thousands of dollars per book um, and it turned out it was the rebbe's nephew was a friedrich rebbe's grandson who was taking the books so they quickly changed the locks and stopped that but at the time, um, he was claiming that he was inherited, that he had inherited these books and the books were his. So you can imagine the anguish that the Rebbe and the Rebbe were going through at that time when a quarrel became factual and actual between them, that he's taking things that really belong to Chabad Lubavitch, and um, he had already sold a number of books, over 120 books on the international market. And the Rebbe was beside himself. 
Um, and for a while, he they tried people tried talking to the people involved and it didn't help. So then he called in a group of older chassidim who were members of the board, what's called Agudas Chabad, which is a a, a, a umbrella organization for the for the Rebbe's institutions, and confided with them what was going on, kind of saying, "It's it's not just me; it's it belongs to the movement." And nobody really knew what to do, because this was like new. You know, the Rebbe was very very private and very very personal, and never shared, you know, a family issue or a family problem or even things that that troubled him, he did not ear them to, to anybody, to the Rebbe, I guess. And um, it was a very difficult period. And the Rebbe spoke about it publicly. After speaking to this group of chassidim and nothing was happening, he spoke about it publicly um, more than once, and not just on a Shabbos, where there's no microphone and no recording, but even on the weekdays, he had spoken about it at the beginning of the summer in Tammuz. I remember I was up in camp and there was a surprise for Bengen and all of a sudden I was talking about such anguish and such distress about when nobody knew what no, nobody knew what he, except for the few people in the inner circle, nobody knew what he was, what he was referring to. But he said people went into the Friedrich Rebbe's holy chambers and took out books and stole books. So it was, they spoke about it Yudbe Stambos at the Fabringen publicly, and then he spoke about it on the Shabbos, and everybody was just beside him. So they saw that it was a, it was a, it was a period of uh, something was going on, nobody could put their finger on it. So I remember I was sitting um, a Saturday night after one of these Fabringens, middle of the summer, at my father-in-law's house, Rabbi Krinsky, who was the Rebbe's secretary and is also a member and that the Chabad board, and kind of commiserating, what could we do? What what should we do? I remember saying, he remember he said to me, he said, you know, I have, I'm thinking maybe, he says, maybe I'll just break the story to the New York Times. They love to write about the literary uh, stuff and libraries and stuff like that, it's a great story, and, and it'll, it'll bring uh, an awareness to the world and people will do something about it. And then the other hand, he says, it may not be effective, maybe we simply have to stop uh, the person from selling these books because he had a lot of books that he was putting out on international markets. Meanwhile, we were sending out uh, people to find out who the purchases were because in the end, I mean, all the details of the story are recorded, but in the end, all those books were purchased back. Every single one was tracked down and they were purchased back and brought back to all, I don't forget the number, were brought back to the library. Like with like legal help or just besides, like- No, besides the legal battle that ensued, this was just to get those books back, just purchase them back. We found who it was. And, and, and they, they were willing. Yes, they, they, everybody realized once it was, once the people realized where the books had come from and how the Rebbe was upset, everybody, everybody so uh, it was sold them like back. So only who bought them? No, collectors. You're talking about people who are and not chassidim. Yeah, wow. they, they, didn't, they didn't return free, we paid for them. In other words, we had to purchase them back. And- um, Who paid for them? The organization. So then my father says to him, he says, you know, perhaps we should uh, get legal help to, to um, so before you get legal help, we have to speak to it up if that's, if that's uh, fine to do. So he did that. But at that time, um, how do you prove that it's not an inheritance? 
and Friedrich Rebbe had two daughters, and there was only one grandchild, and that was this grandchild. And it was assumed that the Friedrich Rebbe was collecting the library that it was his. But um, the Rebbe was saying that it was not like that. Anyway, so at that time, um, the Friedrich Rebbe's Igres, Kodesh, were being printed. That's when the whole, whole series of the letters of the Rabbeim started. It started with the Friedrich Rebbe's letters. <clears throat> and it was like nine volumes out by that time. Now there's uh, 23 or so. And I remembered reading some letters there about the library. Because, um, yeah, yeah. But I remember reading letters there about, about um, the library because Jacob had to get that library to America. And those early letters are the letters of the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. And that's when that library had to be brought. And um, so I went over to the shelf and I pulled out, I pulled out one of the volumes and, and lo and behold, right there, there's a letter from the Fiat de Kerebe to a, a gentleman by the name of Alexander Marx. And um, the Rebbe writes to him that he has a library that he needs to bring to America, belongs to the movement, and it's a treasure for the nation. And could he help uh, in the government channels to make sure that the, that the library is transferred? So we looked at the letter and we said, this, this looks like it, it kind of, is, at least for a beginning to start, we say here's a, a, a document by the Friedrich Rebbe saying that it's not personal. It belongs to the organization. It belongs to the organization. The grandchild has no claim to it. So after uh, quickly next day, uh, getting in touch with, uh, with, the, with the Rabbanim and with uh, Nat Lewin, who's the lawyer, religious lawyer in Washington, um, they went and they took out what they call a TRO, which is a temporary restraining order. It was before you have a trial, if you could show a judge that you are being wronged, what they do is they make an injunction temporary, everything has to stop, and he's ordered to stop. Um, the books, even more, even more than that, the books or whatever, whatever stuff is questionable that is being stolen are impounded. And that's exactly, they're, they're taken away from the person who stole them. So although he's not yet convicted of a crime, he can't hold on to the books. It puts, it's put into a, a bonded storehouse, which the, the, the court is in charge of. So it doesn't go back to the owner. It also doesn't go uh, to the Ganef. So that's what happened. A judge quickly gave us a TRO, temporary restraining order, and the books were impounded and put into a warehouse. And that's, that stopped the bleeding, as they say. Uh, he couldn't steal any books anymore because the, the locks in the library were changed and he couldn't sell the books that he had because there was a restraining order. When were all the books bought back by? Um, it took, took a good few months. Like after Hey Tavis? No, before no, that. before. Wow. After, but after Hey Tavis, we got back the books that were held in the storage. Those came back after Hey Tavis. Like he was living here and his mother, like the No, the, his mother lived in 770 upstairs and he lived in New Jersey. And she didn't say anything? Like so it could be she gave him the nod and the wink. And it turned out later in the case that she kind of did. And that was part of the tragedy of the story because the, the Rebbitson and, and his, her sister were very, very close. Yeah. And that kind of 
changed after that. But the, the crime was greater for what he did and why it became quickly a federal case, because if you steal an item, and you take it across state lines, it becomes a federal case. Mm-hmm. If you just steal it and you keep it in Brooklyn, you're just a thief and the New York State has to go after you. But if you take it across uh, state lines, it becomes a federal case and the federal courts are after you. So what ensued after this was a court case that the verdict came um, in 1987. So it was two long, hard years. Uh, so still talking about it? No, not publicly after that. Okay, after those that. things start happening. Right, I stopped talking about it. And um, we'll see some interesting parallels why I mentioned Yutis Kislev between how the Rebbe treated this and how we know the story of Yutis Kislev where certain things are kind of similar uh, to how it was in Yutis Kislev. Now, this is all a story that's that's like a drama. And it's 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 material, and it's 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 witnesses. It's a courtroom, and it's a judge, and it's lawyers and attorneys and, and depositions. That Evanston had the famous deposition. You know, deposition is before you go to court. Uh, the lawyers interview the people of interest in the case, and they ask them their opinion. That gets recorded and gets transcribed and goes into the court record. So they wanted to inter- interview the Evanston, which means they would come into her home because they agreed to that rather than she should go to the lawyer's office and they would set up a camera and um, with a sonographer and they would, the lawyers would ask questions and she was she answered uh, with a full full line of questioning which took, which took quite a while and um, she answered she spoke in Yiddish and there was a translator a, a court appointed translator um, so what happened was that Rabbi Krinsky, who started this whole thing, um, was in touch with the Rebbe, of course, every single day after that. And at one point, um, he's, he, my, my father asked him for a bracha. And he said to him, you probably received the bracha from my father-in-law, from the Friedrich Rebbe. The Rebbe says to my father-in-law, he said, you probably received the blessing from my father-in-law. And he's like, and the Rebbe kind of picked up on his curiosity. He said, maybe at your bar mitzvah, it'll be okay. So then he realized that he was at Yechidus. His father had brought him from Boston, his bar mitzvah to see the Friedrich Rebbe. And he got a blessing from the Friedrich Rebbe, and the Rebbe was aware of it. Um, and by the Rebbe, everything was going through the Friedrich Rebbe's, the channels, the spiritual channels of the Friedrich Rebbe, and the Rebbe's, uh, the way the Rebbe went through the whole, the whole battle. So f- kind of finding a correlation between the Friedrich Rebbe and him, he said, it'll, it'll be okay. Um, at another time, because it was the group, it wasn't the Rebbe who went to court, per se, it wasn't personally, the Rebbe was not the plaintiff, it was Agudas Chassidei Chabad, which is an organization that did that. And um, so the Rebbe was relieved that this court case was being filed. He, of course, he agreed to it. And he spoke to the lawyers privately 
he actually told them that he wants them to think as lawyers, not as chassidim. Well, they weren't No, no. One was close to Chabad, but there was a big Philadelphia lawyer. But the main lawyer was Nat Lewin, is a Frumid, not a Chassid, but is a, a big Askin, a very uh, you know big activist. So he said, "I want you to to be lawyers and you know do do your do- job diligently and not uh, not as not as um, as Chassid." <clears throat> he said, "But the Rebbe says I would like you to understand what I'm saying." And then you <laughs> take that in your own mind and use it and use it as um, you see fit. Um, so when, when he was once talking to the Rebbe about this and he was asking certain questions, the Rebbe said to him, he said, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader of the Jewish people. And um, when it came to the story of Pinchas, right, with Pinchas and... Uh, and, and Zimri, he uh, went to ask Moshe. Moshe said, there's certain things you don't ask. And Zimri did what he had to do and, and the Jewish people were saved from the plague. And he said, he said at the time, so he said to, he said to Rabbi Krinsky, he said, um, even Moshe Rabbeinu needed a Pinchas. Kind of like, a, you do what you have to do. Oh, one of the big, uh, Involvements in the case were was when they insisted that the Rebbe be deposed. What does that mean? Deposed means they have a deposition, which means that lawyers will come and ask you questions. We start to talk about the Friedrich, about the Rebetzin's deposition. So Rabbi Krinsky said to the Rebbe, maybe we should try to get out of her deposition. And, and the Rebbe said, I think she would go, she, I think she would do well. She would go through, she would come through with flying colors. Wow. And he was he was very sure in how she would uh, perform, and the day came when that happened, and she asked my father-in-law to sit next to her, and um, the lawyers were tough, and when lawyers ask you questions, they ask you the same question throughout the whole two and a half hours in different ways, and they tried to trip you up, and you said something because you weren't thinking it through, and then lady said something else, and even little your own lawyers. No, no, your own lawyers are there oh, to protect you. They don't ask terrible questions, but the other side, they ask you the questions. Um, so the so it was very tedious because she understood English, but she wanted it in Yiddish. And every time they asked a question, the lawyer translated it, and then she answered in Yiddish, and he would translate it, and then they would start to argue. That he, did he say this? Did he say that? Did she say this way? Did she say that way? But the famous line that she said, at that deposition, is what the Rebbe later said, um, carried the case. Because all the way at the end, the lawyer said, so in your opinion, to whom do these books belong? To your father or to the chassidim? And she looked him in the eye and she said, my father and the books belong to the chassidim. Did you say that line in English? No, Yiddish. Yiddish. Mm-hmm. And then quietly she said to, to my father, she says, maybe his film. Like maybe his film were, her, were his. Mm-hmm. But everything else belonged to Chassidim. And that, that was such a powerful line. Now what happens is certain depositions, all the depositions are brought to the court if the, ju- if the lawyers submit them. So when they submitted the Rebetzins and the judge read it, 
he says he would like to see the uh, videotape and he watched it. And when he finished, he said one word, he said, remarkable. He was very, very moved. So anyhow, after the deposition, my father-in-law came to the Rebbe and kind of reported on her deposition and, what had she, and how it went. And the Rebbe said, I told you she'd come through in flying colors. Wow. That, that's when he said that, that she'd do a good job. Um, so the, the, um, the judgment that came in the favor of, of the Rebbe was, was vast. There were a lot of witnesses who testified uh, there's something called a, there's something called expert witnesses. An expert witnesses when you call an expert on a certain subject. So let's say you're dealing uh, this the court case about automobiles, and so you have the people who are dealing with the case. Then you bring in an expert who explains or whatever it may be. So they called in experts on chassidim, experts on books, different experts who came in to testify because. What happened was Rabbi Levine and Rabbi Wilhelm and others who helped them, those are the librarians who have all the documents in the library, started to do a research. It was just incredible how they crammed in so much research in such a short time. And they came up with reams and reams of documents that kind of showed how the books were bought, with which money the books were bought, and how it all pointed in the direction that it was the Rebbe on behalf of Chassidim, not the Rebbe. In other words, it was buying it through the organization, for the organization, not privately. Um, so they called in expert witnesses uh, who, who testified what, is in, what does the Rebbe mean and what does uh, Maimed, or money that Chassidim give to the Rebbe for, for his own personal livelihood is called Maimed. We give donations to the Rebbe's institutions, to his charities, but we also give personal money to a Rebbe. Um, so what is Maimed? So it was like, there was a lot of deep uh, concepts that came out during this, uh, during this um, whole court case. And the Rebbe also wrote a lot of notes to Rabbi Krinsky about, about the case and certain things that you know, should be pointed out and should be said, and there was a lot of depth what a Rebbe is and, and how a Rebbe is dedicated to, the, uh, has no personal self. Everything is for the, everything is for, for, the, for the Jewish people. So while there was this whole um, physical, I mean, I mean physical, I mean, I mean material fight going on about material objects, you could sense that there was something behind this whole thing. And that was something that was spiritual. So you know, in Yutis Kislev, the same thing happened. Al Tareb was arrested, and he was brought to uh, to jail. So he sat in a, in a physical jail, brought by physical guards with guns, bayonets, um, and rifles, whatever they had then. And yet, we know that it was all a result of a kitrug. It was all part of something in heaven that told told the prosecution down here that um, what the, what the Alter Rebbe was doing, which was revealing secrets of the Torah, was not accepted in heaven. He was revealing too much chassidus. And as a result of that, it, tr it transferred itself to a physical and material assault on the, on the, on the Alter Rebbe. So that's why Yutas Kislev is Chaga Chagim. Why is it the greatest Yom Tif? Because at that time, um, the physical world 
agreed that chassidus should be taught. So the threat to the Alter Rebbe's uh, expansion and 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 that he was teaching was justified. Not just justified in heaven, it was justified here too, and vice versa. So just interesting to point out um, a bit of a list of things that are so strangely uh, spiritually connected between Hey Tavis and Yutis Kislev. Um, what happened over here, and as as similar to Yutis Kislev, just like in Yutis Kislev, there was a there was a, a an opposition in heaven to what what the Alter Rebbe was doing. It was the, there was opposition here to the Rebbe, because what the gentleman who took the books. I'll use that word advisedly, who took the books and said that he was the um, the grandson who inherits the books, he was saying that Chabad doesn't exist anymore. That was with the passing of his grandfather, Chabad is over. There's nothing going on now. There's not really a continuation of the movement. As a matter of fact, he said 770 is his house. If you can inherit the books, why can't you inherit the house? Right? Because the house is, is where the Felix ever lived. So it was, what? Well, it, yeah, well, it, that's because we look, because we, we see things with flesh, fleshy eyes and fleshy understanding. But as, as you will see, it happened to be, you know, the Alta Rebbe's, who, who brought the case against the Alta Rebbe? Was it, was it Ivan? It was it was it was Jews, and that's part of the story of Yitzchak Kislev. That the opposition to the Torah of the Alter Rebbe didn't come from the Goyim, it came from the Jewish people, which is which is deeper, and it's a deeper opposition. And over here, the 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 um, the opposition came not not from a Goy, and not from a Yid, not just from a Chassid, but from a family. So it was a very very deep deep um, opposition, and. It expressed itself by the fact that he took out books. But the motive behind that was that there's no Lubavitch now. So it's over and I, I could take my stuff. Was he, was he a Hasidah of the No. No. So, obviously not. Well, I mean, did he look like, did he present himself? No, no, he, he had moved away. He had moved to New Jersey. He wasn't that religious. And... Um, his father was was the director of all the yeshivas. His father was sat by all the fabrengas. Sure, he was very close with the rebbe. He was very, he was older than the rebbe. He was the older son-in-law, but he um, sub submitted himself to the rebbe's uh, to the rebbe's leadership. That's why that's why he, that's why he said that he's the one who took the sperm. He's the one that gets the sperm. Right, because he's the only father, grandchild. Right. He was the only grandchild. He was the only the only uh, the children. Of the Trigger Rebbe weren't dead, so like, why should he inherit things? Who? Like, why should he be? His mother told him he could take it. His mother was was an elderly woman, and she said, "Take books." But the point she was, the point was, and after she passes go. away, so in other words, it was inevitable that it would happen after she passed, mm -hmm. and after the Rebbeson passed. So it was just that he jumped the gun on it, mm -hmm. and it was it was able to be quashed.
But does she know, like when she said take books, does she know that what he was going to do with the books? Yeah, he said he needed money. Oh, wow. So that was that was like a double was like a double whammy, you know. Friedrichab is a library was, was there's so much history and 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 uh, blood, sweat, and tears that the Friedrichab put into it. You know, when he had to leave uh, Russia, he insisted, "I have to take my books with me." They said, "You can." He said, "I'm not going." It was it was his life, and the Rebbe we know was was a man of books. What what did the Rebbe do all his life? He published. He edited. Before he became Rebbe, those those 1940 to 1950, he was the director of Kahas. He 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 he, he annotated the Mamarim. He wrote introductions. He wrote his own spot, and everything was about books. And and the Ksavim, the the heritage of of of, um, of Chabad, were were the Ksavim and the books, and that's what he was that's what he was going after. Interestingly, let's take some parallels between. Yutas Kislev and Haytavis, so we appreciate because everybody appreciates Yutas Kislev, but Haytavis is like, okay, what happened? Um, the Mizitcha Magid, who was the was the Alter Rebbe's teacher, and the and the, um, and the Talmud of the Balshemtiv, had said that he regarded Alter Rebbe as his son. Actually, he learned with his son. Uh, the Magid had a son, Avram. He was called Avram the Malach. He was called an angel because he was like out of this world. And um, they were, he, they, he paired them together. But he also he said that I, I also consider the Alter Rebbe my son. Um, and before his passing, um, he 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 asked Rebuzushin uh, Anapoli, who gives uh, Askama on 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 the Tanya. He said, he referred to the Alter Rebbe as his Rav. That's why the Alter Rebbe is called the Rav. He's the Rav, you know, the author of the Tanya in the Shulchan Aruch, he's called the Rav because he wrote the Shulchan Aruch. And he said also before his passing that to the Alter Rebbe, that Yutas Kislev is our day. Because the Magid, Magid of Mizrich, before he passed away, told the Alter Rebbe that Yutas Kislev is our day. And sure enough, Mizitchimagat passed away in Yutas Kislev. And then um, years later, the Alter Rebbe was freed on Yutas Kislev. So the Alter Rebbe was considered a Rav by, the, by his master and a son by his master. Mm-hmm. We see also with the Rebbe, his father was, I believe, Yitzchak. But in the time that the, that the Rebbe spent with the Friedrich Rebbe, back in Europe and even in America. Um, and we saw this in the Rishimus, in the journal of the Rebbe that was found after Gimel Thomas, after the Rebbe passed. We have the journal that the Rebbe wrote during the years that he was in Europe. And there was so much there that the Friedrich Rebbe imparted to the Rebbe, who was just the son-in-law at the time, those type of things that the Rebbe's passed to their children. Like when you read the Fiyadigarabh, like I mentioned before, the Lukut of the Burum or other, any other Sikhs of is always saying things he heard from his father, who heard from his father, or heard from his father, or heard from his father, going back to the Al-Rebbe, or going back to Samach Tzedek. These are Rebbe kind of materials that you impart to a future Rebbe. And the Rebbe was getting this kind of attention and such kind of information from the Fiyadigarabh when he was a young son-in-law. And in his letters, 
to the Rebbe, when he wrote to the Rebbe, or when he wrote to other people about the Rebbe, he called him Harav Hagon. So there's a little parallel between how the Mazritcha Magid referred to the Alta Rebbe as a son and as a Goin, and how the Friedrich Rebbe called the Rebbe a Goin, and also um, told him things as if he was a son becoming a Rebbe. Now, when the Alta Rebbe was arrested, the famous story that the guards came to arrest him, and he went to hide. He was evading the arrest. And then Shmuel Munkus, the famous chassid of the Alter Rebbe, had a discussion with the Alter Rebbe, and he told the Alter Rebbe, why are you hiding? If you're worth it to be arrested, then be arrested. If you're not worth being arrested because you're a Rebbe, so no, on the other way, if you're a Rebbe, be arrested. What are you afraid of? You're a Rebbe. But if you're not, and you're afraid, then why are you giving us such a hard time? As a Rebbe, Chassidim asking us to do all this Avedis Hashem, if you're not really a Rebbe. It was a very, very deep, it sounds like it was chutzpah, but Shmuel Monk was a very, very deep Chassid, but he was also a, a, a jester in a certain way. And he always made Freilach around him. But he told this to the, to the Alter Rebbe, and that Alter Rebbe says, you're right, and the Alter Rebbe came and got himself arrested. The point is that the Alter Rebbe spoke to a chassid before he submitted to be arrested. Because again, like we said before, the Alter Rebbe was not a private individual. Like the Rebbe said, he belonged to chassidim. So you're really going to go get yourself arrested and end up in a Russian jail? I got a responsibility to chassidim. So he had that conference kind of with his chassid, and um, and then and then they went forward with it, which is the same thing which happened in the book trial. Because before we started the book trial, he spoke to Chassidim, he spoke to the members of Agudas Chabad about it, he spoke to Rikunsky about it, and he spoke about it publicly to Chassidim, and kind of said to the Chassidim, "Help! You know, you never saw the Rebbe so troubled as you saw during those few Fabrengans when the Rebbe spoke about the case before it started." or what happens. You know, the Rebbe, being the servant, the Evid of the Ebeshta, and the Evid of, of the people, B'nai Yisrael, that he led, he never sat back in his chair at a Fabrengen. Imagine, the Rebbe always sat at the edge of his chair like this, his hands on the armrests, for hours. Never leaned back. Never had, and when he was in public, he never leaned back in his chair. He was completely devoted to the chassidim. The only time he sat back in his chair was twice a year when the gabai would get up and make an appeal. Whatever, two times a year. So he would stand there, the Rebbe, and tell a story. Yeah, he was supposed to tell a story and, and announce uh, about an appeal that was taking place for uh, for Malava Malka, for Agnilas um, Chesed, Agnilas Chesed Fund. And also they used to sell the mitzvahs. You know, some chastara and shul, they would sell who has the right to open up the parechis, who has the right to pay for the lights, who, has a, who could pay for the wine. Those were, those were, those were auctioned off. So on Shabbos Bereshis, the gabai of the shul would do that. That was the only time that I kind of relaxed in his chair, listening. But whenever he was 
doing what he had to do. As a Rebbe, he was always forward in his chair. The only other time was when he spoke about this case, because, because he, he sat back in his chair and he turned, like his entire body was facing left. He was like looking off in the distance. And, was, and, and it was a conversation that was, it was so hard to watch. Because you saw that Rebbe was, was talking from such anguish and like from a different, from a different perspective. So again, that was how the Rebbe and the, and the, and the Alter Rebbe had the same thing that he consulted with Chassidim before he let this thing happen. Um, you know that we sing Pada V'Shalom, Pada V'Shalom Nafshi, and um, that's kind of the song of, of liberation. The Alter Rebbe was released on a Tuesday. Yutas Kislev that year was on a Tuesday. Um, and the Rebbe often speak about the fact that Pada B'Shalom you know, there are three ways that, there are two ways that, three ways that Tillam is broken up. We say Tillam uh, by the month. There's also five, five books, and there's also by the month. So, um, by, by, I'm sorry, by the, um, by the week. So Tuesday has in it the capital that has Padre B'Shalom Lavshi. So although it was Yutes Kislev, when the Friedrich Rebbe was released, was on Tuesday. On Tuesday, you say Kapitel Yud, and the end of the Kapitel Yud is part of B'Shalom Lavshi. When did the trial start? The book trial? It started 1986, Tavshin Menvov, on Yutas Kislev. And when did the Dan Natsach happen? Hey, Tavis. Um, On Tuesday, yeah, 1987. It was it was it was it was uh, Tuesday. Um, and the Rebbe always used to say to do things on Tuesday because Tuesday is Yom Shehuchbal Boy Kitov. In creation, Hashem every day said we had Hashem Kitov. Hashem saw that it was good. But on Tuesday, it says twice he saw it was good. So Tuesday was a special day. The Rebbe often noted that Yutas Kislev has a shaykhus and a connection with Hanukkah, because it leads into Hanukkah. And Rebbe also had said that Hey Tevis comes as a result of Hanukkah. So Rebbe tied the two together. Um, interestingly, another connection was that Alt Rebbe was in Petersburg, and that's where he was sitting in jail. Now, there weren't too many Chassidim who lived there, because you weren't allowed to live in the capital city. Jews weren't allowed to live there. But when word got out that the, the Alter Rebbe was freed, somehow in all the shtetlach and all the cities and all the places all around Russia and beyond, they found out immediately and pandemonium broke out all over. And even the Chassidim who had come to, to Petersburg, Petersburg, Petersburg to be there, and those few who were allowed to live there because they were business people, so they had special uh, permits to do that, if Rebbe describes that on Yutas Kislev, when the Alta Rebbe was released from jail, <coughs> Chassidim were doing somersaults in Petersburg. That's like somersaults in Petersburg. You're not allowed to step into Petersburg if you're Jewish, you're not allowed to live there. But Chassidim were so happy and so elated. They were doing somersaults in Petersburg. And, uh, <laughs> and hey, Tavis, for those who were here, 
um, I remember I was sitting in the office and we had just gone to the court because we got a phone call that there's a verdict. Don't forget that the trial took place in 1986. The books were stolen in 1985 summer. And then the temporary restraining order was taken out that summer, but the trial didn't begin till Yutas Kislev of 1986. And the trial was two weeks long and it started on Yutas Kislev. The verdict came in 1987 on Hey Tavis. What happened was the judge after the trial wrapped up the two weeks, there was a huge federal mafia case and he was called to be the judge on that. And he was completely out of commission. So whatever it came, that's why it came so much later. So I remember I'm sitting in the office and we got a call from the court that we should come pick up. There's a, there's a judgment. So quickly ran down to the courtroom and, and it was a federal court in Manhattan. Wow. Uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn? No, oh, Brooklyn Federal Courthouse. And... Um, <laughs> And came back with the psak and quickly went into the Rebbe and brought it to the Rebbe. We'll talk about that soon too. But um, immediately, everybody came flocking to 770. And word got out quicker, a lot quicker than it got out in my uh, Dalton Rebbe in Petersburg, I can tell you that much. And 770 was going crazy. Outside of 770, the dancing and the somersaulting that was going out was kind of a parallel to what happened to Teskislev. I was sitting in the office and a good friend of mine came in and he's like carrying a tray of uh, chicken and he's carrying a tray of uh, coleslaw and he says, what's going on? We got something, you know? He was like a little busy with the, with the, nitty, with the nitty gritty. It was the middle of the day, afternoon, I don't know, about three or four o'clock in the morning. It was afternoon. And the place was just, just rolling. And, and what happened was Chassidim Fabreng for seven days, seven consecutive days. Wow. It was actually called Seven Days of Sheva Brachas. That's what uh, a non-stop. Uh... And the event is going on next week. Oh, part of it. There's an event next week, and it calls for the rest. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Sheva Brachas. Yeah. <laughs> so when the Alter Rebbe was freed, Chassidim were ecstatic, and the Alter Rebbe was subdued. And he wrote a letter to Chassidim, they should be calm and not do anything yeah, brash. He, was, he, he felt that um, there was another round to come. And uh, indeed there was. And why is the fifth lichtel of Hanukkah a special night? Because the fifth lichtel of Hanukkah, the Alter Rebbe had been arrested again. And he was released again on the fifth lichtel of Hanukkah. Yet, yet, the, the main simcha is Yotas Kislev, not uh, the fifth lichtel. It's kind of a minor, minor, third or fifth. Yeah, third or fifth. Yeah, right. So third or fifth? Third. Third. So um, when Rabbi Kurinsky brought the sack into the Rebbe and gave it him to read and Rebbe quickly looked at it, Rebbe didn't express any outward uh, excitement and which which by the Rebbe would be like that but Rabbi Krinsky asked him if the Rebbe would speak and the Rebbe says we have to, we have to think about it he asked me if he would be a fabreng and he said we have to think about it 
in the end, the Rebbe spoke every single day for seven days after Mincha, but it wasn't a Fabrengen. So the Rebbe also felt that it wasn't over. And indeed, it wasn't over because there was an appeal. And after the appeal, which we, of course, we resoundly uh, were victorious, even stronger than the original case, original verdict. And, um, and then there was a third case, which was kind of a case personally against the Rebbe. And uh, that ended many, many years later. Connected to the Svarim? Yeah, connected to the Svarim. And uh, it was after that final case that the Rebbe on his own said to him, now we could say chesidus. So during this entire time, there was this huge kitrug that was going on that we didn't see. I mean, we knew, we sensed it. But the Rebbe was living through a, a, a very, very harsh uh, kitrug, like we say, was, was parallel to, to Yutas Kislev and perhaps even greater. When was the third verdict? Um, 1990, maybe? Oh, wow. Yeah. So funny. Not, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. Who knows the story of uh, the Varelea, Alter Rebbe's daughter? Right, we all know that story. So when did the story of Yutas Kislev begin? Did it start when Avigdor uh, told his lies to the Russian government that the Rebbe is sending money to the Turkish army against uh, Russia's will? Or it started years earlier when she gave her life for the Alta Rebbe? So that happened years before where she said that she heard from her father that difficult times are coming. And she called in the Chassidim and said, I want to give my life for my father. And indeed, she passed away shortly after that. And her son, the Tzamech Tzedek, was, became the Alter Rebbe's son. And uh, he, he raised him. Um, so there was, there, was a, there was a physical tragedy. Was the the Kitrug had a, manifested itself in, in personal loss, personal loss to the Alter Rebbe of his, of his daughter. Um, and what we know and what we saw in Hey Tevis was that the same thing as what the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, because it, it took, sapped, it sapped their, their, their health, sapped their energy. The Rebbe passed away. Luckily, she passed away after the victory of Hey Tevis, which was 1987, but she passed away in 1988. And, and surely had an effect on her, on her health. And the same thing with the Rebbe. It was a terrible, terrible, uh, difficult, physically difficult period, which is another parallel between Yutis Kislev and Hey Tevis. Um, and, and at the same time, we know that Devorah giving her life for, for her father kind of gave him the victory that he needed, for he, that he was, that he lived. He went on, which is what the, the Rebetzin did with the Rebbe with her deposition. Of course, the Rebbe mentioned that how good she would do, and the judge in his in his testimony even wrote what she said, you know, banking on what she said. Um, so it was it was like and like Hanukkah and Purim, it was the great Jewish women who did uh, 
who did what they did and brought about the Gola. Um, going by number 11. Uh, the Alter Rebbe writes about Yutus Kislev that it will become a Moed Timidi, a, a constant uh, Yamtif, an everlasting or a perpetual Yamtif. <clears throat> and in order to honor that day, the Alter Rebbe said he wants to make a Chulkas Hashas, everybody should take a Masechta and learn one tractate of Talmud every year that became what Yutas Kisa was all about. And the Rebbe, the same thing also, a year later, in 1988, said on Hei Tevis that this is now becoming a Yamtif, similar to what the Alter Rebbe said on Yutas Kislev. And of course, he gave us the mitzvah of the day, which is either buying a book, or repairing a book. Does anybody even know what that means anymore? <laughs> How do you repair a book, right? Um, well, donating and helping the library, whatever's library. So there was like a mitzvah of the day Not that the <laughs> learning the book was the overarching that have actually said that. And the Rebbe said that probably the reason why we had this whole kitrug, why we had this whole danger to, to the movement was because we weren't studying enough. We weren't using the books enough. So the Rebbe did actually say that. Um, it's interesting because in Israel, every year in Yitzhak there's a big um, book sale that people buy. Yeah, Yitzhak Kislev. Before from 100, or it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You were there? Um, was here, but <laughs> people really buy. I know, I know, I know. Um, One of the things that Rebbe would write when he when he referred to the victory of Haytavis, he would write that the victory took place in the federal courthouse of the United States. He wrote that in Hebrew. Meaning you could win an argument with a friend, you could win an argument with, with a teacher, you could win an argument with someone above you. But when when the argument is in your favor by the government written where you live. There was a tremendous, uh, tremendous meaning to the Rebbe, that the government, which is reflective of the of the Sodom Lamaila, of the of the um, angels who protect each country, has its own sar. When that's translated into a victory presented by them, it's a much stronger thing. And the Alter Rebbe actually also writes in his letters that that his victory was le'ene kol ha'amin. That the nations, all the nations, could see that Torah and and uh, Chassidus is uh, is uh, holy and should be and should be taught. So it's not a very similar thing of how Haytavis meant what Haytavis meant to the Rebbe, which is what Yitzchak and meant to Rebbe. We spoke earlier that the Kitug of, of, on the Alter Rebbe was from a Jewish person, but it was on Teireh. And within Teireh, it was on Chassidus. Chassidus is the light of Teireh and the light 
the air of Yiddishkeit. The Kitter of Heitavis was on the luminary who gives that light. So here the Kitter goes on the air, on the light, and the Kitter, and the Kitter of Heitavis was on the Moir, who was on the originator of the light. In a certain way, a deeper thing. What does it all mean to us? So they wanted to get us, they didn't, and now we ate. Um, and we have and we have the mitz and we have yes, and we have and we have the mitzvahs of the day. But interestingly, the, when the Rebbe spoke um, right after Gimotam, right after Heitavis, he started off by saying that we have to live with the parish of the week. We have to live with the times, right? Famous line that I've repeated countless, countless times. So the story goes that Al-Tarebbe said, Chassidim didn't know what it meant. So the middle Rebbe told them, that it means you have to live with the Pasha of the week. You have to study the Pasha, you have to live with the inspiration every week of the Pasha. That means living with the Pasha of the week. We think living with means you got to live with the modern, whatever happening in life and in your day. Now it means you have to live with the Pasha of the week. So the story goes that the, the Mittal Rebbe said that. What was the Mittal Rebbe at that time? At that time, the Alter Rebbe appointed the middle Rebbe to be involved and to educate the young Chassidim. The Alter Rebbe was swamped with, with work and with, with, and with uh, Chassidim. So for the younger Chassidim, the Alter Rebbe appointed his son, the middle Rebbe, he should be their educator, he should be their mashpia, he should be their leader. Their <coughs> That's part of the original story of Leben mit der Zeit. The Rebbe's didn't mention Lev Medetzite thousands of times, hundreds and thousands of times. He didn't tell that story, who he said it to, and more than that, what was the job of the person he told it to. But when he spoke, hey, Tavis, he said, and then it's kind of like a sidebar. He says, which is what was told in the middle of the Rebbe, and the middle of the Rebbe, who was in charge, the young Chassidim, and he explained it. It was like a little out of context to talk that detail when he was talking about Hey Tavis. And it's very possible that what the Rebbe was saying was, this is a yamta for the younger people. Mm-hmm. This is a yamta for the people who are going to be young people or for generations to come who are not by the Rebbe. So you're talking about the younger people who weren't by the Alta Rebbe they were being educated by the middle Rebbe. So Hey Tavis is a time where what, it's, a, it's an event that speaks to younger people who are not present. Matter of fact, the Rebbe had said at the time that after the victory of Hey Tavis, the Rebbe said, It's also part of the Pasha of those weeks of Hey Tavis, where after Yaakov finds out that Yasef is alive, what does the Pasuk say? Yaakov's spirit was alive again. And the Rebbe referred 
referenced that Pasuk, as a result of Hei Tevis, that after the victory of Hei Tevis, where it was established on high and in the federal court, that Chassidus Chabad exists, and it didn't finish in 1940, in 1950, as someone had proclaimed, but it continues and stronger than ever. Rebbe was one, one of the Fabrengans that I was talking about. He says, could you imagine the person said that Chabad is not active and the Friedrich Rebbe is not doing anything anymore because he passed away. He says, how could a person say that? The Rebbe is more active than ever. The Friedrich Rebbe is more active than so like in, in a... Uh, Russian uh, English accent, more active than ever before. So this was the judgment ruled by a non-Jewish judge who said, no, the books belong to Chassidim and belongs to Chabad because Chabad exists. That, that didn't end. Um, so that's the Vatchi Ruach Yankev Avim that the Rebbe referenced that Yaakov's spirit is now alive once again because the Friedrich Rebbe is alive. The Friedrich Rebbe always didn't speak about himself. It was always through the Friedrich Rebbe. But to us, it meant the Rebbe was alive. The Rebbe is alive. So the Vatchi Ruach Yankavim is a result of the Heitevis um, victory. So it speaks to us because, you know, speak to people who never saw the Rebbe. I speak to our children who never saw the Rebbe and future children who have never seen the Rebbe. In fact, the Rebbe spoke so much at that time that since his children are alive, he is still alive. And so the Rebbe is still alive. And Chassid um, is alive. And the Rebbe is giving us the brachas through the svarim, because we don't know what it is until we look into the books, until we study the books. So we understand what is Chassidus and what is Rebbe and what it means to us. Um, and Rebbe empowered us through his words. He gave us all the keiches. You read any sikh of the Rebbe, you read any letter of the Rebbe. It was never like, oh, it's difficult and you have to come on to some Mesiris Nefesh. It's that you have the power and you have the strength and you have the talent and always uncovered within us that we could, we could do it, and we could be who we're supposed to be, and could get things done um, with the Kayach of, of Chassidus, the Kayach of the Rebbe, the Kayach of the Ebeshter. So on Hei Tevis, oh, I forgot, forgot one of the main stories of Hei Tevis. They, the Rebbe said after Hei Tevis that he's going to the Oihu, and he wants everybody to join him by sending along a request for a blessing, right? And it's a very uh, auspicious time and the brachas are flowing now uh, in an incredible way. And he told everybody to give in, usually you, you, um, you write a pigeon to the Rebbe, you also put in money. It's called a pigeon nefesh, a pan. Why is a pan called a pan? Because it's a pigeon. Pigeon means like by kapodos. You pay out. You pay for the kapodos. You pay for the tzatel that you give to the Rebbe to charity. So the Rebbe said, he re Rebbe realizing how this was going to evolve, he said that people should put two separate envelopes, 
One money, one they should put in the pigeon nefesh for the tzedakah, and the other one they should put in their note that they're writing to the Rebbe. Send it to me. I'm going to take it to the oil. And the Rebbe says, write whatever your heart desires. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid, because it's going to the it's going straight to the Abishta. It's going straight to the Abishta through the Nasi Hadar. Was there to worry? And promised everybody that the abundant, abundant brachas. So this was Zion. Tavis. Well, it's it's Hey Tavis and the days around it. Rebbe always said that all the days around it are part of that day, but the day that actually went to the oil. So the fax machines, if you still remember fax machines, were nonstop overnight, because Rebbe spoke about it the day before, and thousands and thousands of letters came in. Um, and people brought, came running to 770 and letters and, and people wrote other people's names and their own names. And I recall standing in my office, which is the big building right next to the top of the Vibershaw, where our offices were in the front uh, room. Debra was getting ready to go to the aisle. So the car was pulled up in the driveway. Hundreds and hundreds of people around waiting for Debra to go. And we're watching from the window. And we see that the maskirim, the Rebbe's secretaries, are bringing huge shopping bags into the car. One bag, another bag. Another. The Rebbe always went to the oil with a bag. And were, I, don't know, I, I don't remember the count. The car was full of huge shopping bags, full, full, full of notes of brachas to the Rebbe. And then suddenly, somebody comes running up from the, from the Rebbe's office and says, quickly, the Rebbe is calling you guys. The Rebbe asked for Krinsky's, uh, Rabbi Krinsky's helpers. So I was there, and Rabbi Futafas was there, and my brother-in-law, who's now a shleich in, um, in, in Hampshire, was there. And he, was, uh, he was still a bacha. No idea what was happening. But we ran downstairs, and we, we, we were ushered into the Rebbe's room. It was, it, was like, it was like a shock, surprise, that we never saw, it never, never happened before. And there were three bags on the floor in the Rebbe's room, full of the um, the other envelopes, the, the, the money envelopes. And the Rebbe bent down. I remember walking over, and I didn't want the Rebbe to bend down and pick something up, but the Rebbe was, was quicker than you. And he was he just he just picked it up and handed each one of us a bag. And we pushed through the crowd, and we ran upstairs, because the Rebbe told us that he wants at least some of it to be deposited in the bank that day. So as the Rebbe was leaving, we were upstairs in the office on the conference table, <laughs> counting the cash, setting aside the checks, making the cheshmer. And it was late. It was the afternoon. The bank closes at 3. Oh. The Rebbe said he wanted some, uh, <laughs> at least some of it to go into the bank. The bank of America across the street. The bank of America across the street. That's where we banked. <laughs> Anyhow, so I called the bank, and uh, she let us in after, and we put all the money in. <laughs> Wow. Not just uh, some of it. But the point is that by the Rebbe, the Gashmus and the Ruchnius, the mundane, the physical and the Ruchnius were so entwined. I'm going to the oil and I'm bringing the requests, the deepest requests of thousands of Yidin to the Friedrich Rebbe to go straight to Devishta, as he said. And he wanted the money that's attached to that to go into the bank. It should be sealed and delivered as in, in, a, in, a, tangible, in a tangible way. Um, did you like tell the Rebbe when you did it? Like he, he was at the oil. 
So later, we reported that, you know, how much, how much it was, how, how much it was, and, and that, it's, that it's all in the bank. Um, this is the money that people sent with the, with the pajamas. Was it like, was sent a dollar or people sent donations? It's, a dollar was a donation too. Right, right, meaning so like was, a, I, I, Truth is, I don't even remember the figure. Do they get their money, like from people sending money, do they actually get all their money back from rebuying the books back? Um, I think so. I think that I would pay them all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was a huge expense because, you know, a trial that took such a long time was amazing, amazing expense. So you're saying Yeah, the people who laid out money to, to buy back the books, that I would pay them back. I didn't want any, right, so I didn't want any favors. Didn't want any favors from anybody. From this money that he got. Oh, well, that I've had people who always gave money to them, bigger amounts, smaller amounts, and big, big donors who gave a lot of money. This was, this was like they say, Amcha, this was the regular people's money. It was everybody, everybody's money. So it was children gave them coins. So there was coins and there was dollars and hundred dollars and checks, all kinds of. Uh... But uh, the, the reports were that after that, there was huge, huge amount of brachas that took place. Children and babies and marriages and chasanim and kalas and, and health and, and 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 business. It was it was incredible, um, an incredible esrotzen, and that was also a, an indication of how there was a kitru going on at the time. An interesting parallel, which which I skipped before, is you know during the, when Alter was sat in jail, Friedrich tells the story that he had visitors. Who visited Al-Tarab in jail? The Baal Shem Tov and the Maggid. Where was the Rebbe every single day of the trial? He was at the oil. Every it was, it was It was totally unusual. The Rebbe should go consistent, consecutive days to the oil. He was there every day. Rabbi Krinsky was in the courtroom. And Rabbi Klein had to take the Rebbe to the oil every single day. What? He fasted every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why the libraries, like you can't go inside? Like you could. The, the real library? You could. There are libraries like the Brooklyn Public Library where you walk inside and there are shelves and you pull a book off the shelf and you take it home with you and then you have to bring it back. There's different types of libraries. They're called research libraries. A research library means that there are books there that are usually not available elsewhere. So you come into the library, you use the catalog, and you ask your researcher. You ask the librarian, I need to look at these two, three books. The books are brought to you in a reading room. And you do your research, and you don't take them out. So that's a research library. So this library is a research library. What about just going to like we, we don't get so, researcher? Uh, <laughs> you could be a researcher if you want. No, 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 but it has exhibits there. I yeah, think yeah. I never saw the exhibits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we had a we had a tremendous uh problem here in the library during Hurricane Ida, which not too many people know. You were here during, during, during the last hurricane? I'm not following the hurricane. Yeah, no. Shira's been huh? here for a long time. No, not, no. not the hurricane. No. The hurricane was, what, a couple of months ago? Right. 
Not Sandy. Well, maybe you don't know it was a hurricane, but the rain that everybody's basement in Crown Heights was flooded. It got flooded here. Okay, so imagine this in the basement of 770 where the shul is, right? You look down from the Viber shul, right? The place was pouring. That water was pouring through 770 like a river. Where was it going? Went to the library because on Eastern Parkway, there's a bit of a slope. The basement of 770 is just a bit higher than the basement of the library, and they're connected. So water was pouring into the library basement, and they had no idea. And when they came there in the morning, now the library has, on the bottom shelf, has an empty shelf of six inches. There's no books in the bottom, on the bottom shelf. They don't keep books there because of that reason. But the flood came in 12 inches. So the second shelf of books was completely drenched. What can you do? And there will come some valuable books there. So there's a company, that's interesting, this is just an interesting uh, piece of information. It's a company that salvages books from floods. Maybe more than one company, but there's an industry that does that. They come and they pack up the books. They take them to a facility where they have huge freezers. They put, they put the books into a freezer and it freezes the moisture in the uh, in the pages, so they can't spread, and that they can't um, grow mold. Wow! They're frozen for I don't know a week or something, and they take it out and they put it into a different chamber. I don't know what the other chamber does. It dries it or sucks the moisture out, whatever's left, and they return the books. So, but the pages don't stick together. You no. Don't pick book that's no, that's amazing. That's amazing. So it's an expensive, expensive pro prospect, but all the books were saved and they were just brought back Friday. Wow. What? A story under the radar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and now the story was told yesterday. The story was told. Okay. So I'm like, I just see a booth where, like you said, the books were returned to the library. Wow. That just gave me chills. <laughs> And then I think they just opened a new wing. Or yep. Right. Also on Hey Tavis yesterday. We, so that's, anyhow, so wow. I don't know what you did for Hey Tavis, but Hey Tavis is still going on and will go on till after Shabbos. The spiritual Hey Tavis keeps on going. Um, so it's an ace. It's an ace rotsen. It's a. It's a. It's a time for for trilis. It's a time for brachas. And uh, you could you could ask for everything like the Rebbe said. Ask ask for everything, and um, and the Rebbe says he'll deliver. So it's looking up. It's looking up. If you haven't bought a book, buy a book. If you haven't fixed a book, fix a book. <laughs> she was selling books before, so yeah, I guess that counts. Yeah. Was the thought of like Baston ever considered, or because he yes, he didn't want to come. He said, uh, as a matter of fact, the judge, the judge's father was a prominent um, the, theologian, very famous theologian. His father-in-law was a famous theologian. That's someone who deals in theology, religious, God, you know, 
that's the kind of stuff. It's like a philosophy, like a philosophy. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a philosophy. So, um, so he was very sensitive to the fact that this was a religious case. So he called over the lawyers right at the beginning of the trial. And he said to them, um, you know who my father-in-law is? And maybe you think I should not be the judge on this, on this case for every reason. So he asked both sides if they agree that he should be the judge. Wow. And we had no problem with it. And the other guy didn't have a problem either. Wow. Yeah. He said during the trial, he says, you know, I drive by Eastern Parkway quite often. And I pass that building. And to me, it seems to be a glass house. Like in other words, a glass house is an expression that means there's no hidden agendas there. Everything is open. And he had that sense. And he kind of said that in the middle of the trial. But the, the trial hinged on whether it was the Friedegrebis or not. Now, we had all the evidence in the Friedegrebis' own words that it belonged to Agodis Chabad, that it belonged to the, belonged to the Chassidim, as we say. But they were saying that the Friedrich Rebbe wrote that letter, like the letter I told you that was found right away at the beginning, because Rebbe also pointed that letter, pointed to them to that letter. This, this you have to take this as as the main uh, testimony. Um, he said that Rebbe had to write that. He wanted to save his books from Europe. So when you're dealing with Europe, Europe was you know was was not a free country. You were coming to a free country. He had to get it out. So he had to write the letter saying that it belongs, but it wasn't the truth. It was really his own. He just wrote that in order to get the government to bring it across to America. And the Rebbe was like, a Rebbe cannot say a lie. Yeah. It's just not possible. So the judge referenced that. Judging by the character of, of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, it's he said it's impossible to think that he kind of almost said what the Rebbe said, not knowing what the Rebbe said. And in the appeals court, which is a bank of lawyers, a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of judges, not just one judge, they kind of reiterated that and said, can't say that uh, such a virtuous person as the Friedrich Rebbe could say something other than what, than what he really meant. Wow. So this was also like the 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 um, the truth of Torah came through in a way where the courts said that Torah is true, and its leaders are true. So Torah's emes and Moshe emes. About who? Like this person at school. Like they were talking, they were like. Personally? When he was a child, they, they in Europe, they were close. He was, he was a, doting, a doting uncle, and a doting aunt. And just one child in the whole family. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a big yichas. But um, when he became a rabbi, he was, he was embittered. He wanted his father to be the Rebbe. But that's not what Chassidim wanted. So was that, since then it became strange. But when, when an action was done that made a statement in that way, and something that was irretrievable, that would just keep on going, and then you couldn't chase down the, the buyers, 
Rebbe did what he had to do. Had great personal sacrifice. So it's it's a yamtu where the Rebbe sacrificed himself for us. I was just talking the other day to someone. He says to me, you know, the Rebbe suffered so much. I would have said, we would have the Rebbe perhaps a few more years. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a toll on his, on his health. But the Rebbe sacrificed himself for us, that it should continue as, as the movement he wanted, not that it stopped after the Friedrich Rebbe. It was, it was a serious nefesh that the Rebbe had for, for Chassidim, for Chassidus, and, and the Rebbe who he was for, for, for the entire Jewish people. That's why Hey Tavis is a big yomtif. Sorry, someone asked a question. Did Rebbe Tzinchina like ever regret giving the Go ahead, and how did the other relatives feel? Like, did they feel bad that their family? Rebbe Tzinchina. I guess no. Chana. 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 Oh, Rebbe Tzinchina and the daughter. Who's Hannah? The daughter. Well, she was already. She was already gone then. The mother, not the mother, the grandmother. That was the Friedrich Rebbe's Rebbe Tzinchina, who's Nachamadina. Passed away. She passed away in 1971, 70, oh, so 71. Take the she said take the that, no, was, so that, was her, that was his mother, which is the Rebbe Tzinchai Mushka's sister. Right. Her name was Rebbe Tzinchana Gurari. Her name was Gurari. Oh, she didn't tell me. <laughs> Um, do, we, do we know what happened to the man after? Like, Nothing. Just, he just lived his life until he passed away. Passed away before he was This person? Passed away before he was This person? No. Um, he younger? I don't remember. Well, yeah, yeah. Did he ever um, feel bad that he did it? I mean, how about the that he lost? <laughs> no, someone who, ma- who mounted that battle. I mean, after he was exposed, he had he had the option of bowing out. Um, but he, he he wanted that fight, so I doubt it. It was a world. It was a world war. So. And you know, at that time, Chabad didn't have good relations with Safner. I should say Safner didn't have good relations with Chabad. And um, he kind of teamed up with members of that community. Wow. So oh, it was like, wow. it was, it was, that was. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Hi again. So, so much. So much. Um, for a person who deals with swar, I think it'd be superfluous to give you a safer. Give me for what? But, <laughs> You're supposed to buy a safer today, not give a safer. Actually bought a safer and gave it. I said, does that count? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually wanted to, on behalf of all of us, oh my God. thank you so much. And your wife, because your wife was a part of this. I'll give it to her. So um, the... For your wife, we have a tray. When she lights Shabbos candles, she has a match, oh. and she can put down the match. And, uh, a little light dispels light of darkness. Beautiful. That's so nice. So this is a thank, thank you. you to her. And again, I would usually get a safer, but I think that's just 
So we have- Give me something practical. Our, <laughs> our very favorite um, living Chassidus umbrella. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, this one goes upside down ones? Yes, it goes wow. upside down and it says, um, um, no, no, let the brachas rain down. That's what it says. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Completely thank you unnecessary, so but it's for my wife, so thank you. <laughs> thank you so, so much. And, um, I wish you all well. And um, 